John chapter 7 and uh, verses 1 through 18. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booze was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, then show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil." You go up to the feast, I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Father, thank you for uh, your word. God, thank you for the revelation of your will. And Jesus, we want your will today. Jesus, we want your way, your will, your plan, your schedule, your timing, um, your purpose. God, we want We want that as our own. Father, we want to lay down our will this morning. God, we want to lay down our agenda. And Father, we want to take yours up because yours is better. Um, You are better. You are God. You own us, Lord. We belong to you. And so, Lord, please, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, equip us and enable us, Father, to do your will today, to see your glory in the scriptures and to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, the beginning of, of chapter seven, you got a whole bunch of people who are trying to figure out who Jesus is, or they're, they're, they're giving their opinion about Jesus. You have some folks in verse one that actually want to kill him. Uh, verse one says there were Jews that wanted to kill him. He couldn't go about freely in Judea because there were men who, because of Jesus following, because of the people following Jesus, because of, of Jesus exposing their hypocrisy, um, kind, of, kind of undoing their, their religious control and power over the people, they, they actually wanted to put him to death, and eventually they, they would put him to death, if you know the story of the gospel. In verse three, you've got his brothers. The, the, this is kind of a, kind of a neat little uh, section here. Uh, so you get a kind of glimpse at Jesus' biological brothers here. And it says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So basically you have, you have his brothers saying, hey, Jesus, you're a miracle worker. Obviously you have worked miracles. Obviously, you know, at this point, in his ministry, he'd healed a lot of people. He had, um, um, you know, given sight to the blind and, and the paralyzed had walked. And, and so there, there's all kinds 
to these miracles that have been done. And so his brothers are like, hey, all right, if you're a miracle worker, then you need to, you need to go to the feast, go to where all the people are gonna be, go to the big event, and you need to, you need to reveal yourself, like, like a big reveal, public reveal. Coming in on the first day of the feast, you know, I kind of picture the red carpet deal, you know, they're introducing everybody. Here comes the miracle worker, you know, like they're, they're saying, hey, you gotta get some press here, you know? And, and then, then you have this great commentary by John in verse five, the next verse. Not even his brothers believed in him. Like, like, like I mean, we, we've seen this in John already, um, but, but man, it's so rich. Look, just because you believe Jesus did things, you know, just because you believe he raised the dead, just because you believe that God is a miracle worker, there are all kinds of people who believe God does miracles who do not trust Jesus. You see, there's a difference there. You, you see that? Now, now, some of these guys would later come to put their trust in Jesus, James being probably the most well-known who would become the leader of the Jerusalem church. But, but right now, at this point, like, like even though they believe he does miracles, they don't trust him. There's a difference between believing that, you know, God exists and that, that, that he, he's done miracles and he, even he's a creator God and actually you yielding your life in submission and trust to him. Those are different things. And so you, you've got this one group of people who wants to kill him. You've got another group of people who absolutely believe he's a miracle worker, but they, they don't really trust him. Okay, they don't treasure him. Uh, and, and by the way, Jesus wouldn't be, have you noticed Jesus will not be controlled by anybody? Uh, you know, like, hey, all right, if you're this, here's what you need to do. You need to do, you know, and Jesus is like, no, I'm not doing that, you know? You need to come up with a visa list. No, I'm not, I'm not going. And then he goes later, I love that. You know, he doesn't go up the way that they want him to. And, and, and he keeps saying this phrase, there's this phrase over and over again in, in, in John, um, two times at least here in John chapter seven, where he says, my time's not yet come. Like Jesus is on this divine time schedule and, and nobody can move him one way or the other. Like he, he's, he's following God. All right, so you got some people hate him. You got some people believe he's a miracle worker, but they don't really trust him. Verse seven, uh, you've got the world, okay? So the world system of unbelief. He says, the world uh, cannot hate you, but it hates me. So the, the world hates him. And, and, and then you've got this. You've got, look at verse 12. You got a bunch of people muttering about him. And uh, some of them, so the, the mutterers are in two groups here, okay? In, in verse 12, you've got some mutterers saying he's a good man and others saying, no, he's leading the people astray. Okay, now both of those are wrong, but one of those is ridiculous, okay? Now, which one do you think it's, is ridiculous? Well, you, you might think I'm gonna say it's the one who's saying he's leading the people astray. I actually don't think that's ridiculous. I mean, actually, if you're, gonna be, uh, if you, if you're not gonna believe Jesus is the son of God, Messiah, then that's probably a, a position you should take okay? But, but I'm saying this, the people that are saying he's a good man, that is absolutely ridiculous, okay? Um, that's ridiculous. Um, to believe that Jesus is a good person, a great teacher, uh, a great spiritual guru, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Listen, I, I can think of two, I, I think three people in the last year that have told me they're God, like they've told me to, to my face, they're like, you know, I am God or I am Jesus. They've, they've said something to that nature. Okay, listen, my first response is not, oh, this must be a good person, okay? My first response is, you're crazy. Like, like you're mentally unstable, okay? And, and, and you know what? 
I'm spot on on that, okay? I can think of at least two of those that we had to call the police on, all right? And one of them, uh, Friday, Friday, uh, got just a, a glimpse of them and 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 calling the police was in the discussion, okay? There were three people there and, and we, we talked, I mean, People that say they're God, that say they're Jesus, okay? It's really also interesting. There's a lot of rabbit trails here, but no, I've never had anybody say I'm Muhammad, okay? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Like, why not? We've had Muslims. We, we, we had a Muslim staying at the shelter not too long ago. Nobody ever says I'm Muhammad. Nobody ever says I'm Confucius. It's always I'm Jesus. You know, isn't that interesting? Uh, there, there's another sermon there, but... But here, here you've got this man, Jesus Christ, in John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He uses the, the Hebrew personal name for God, Yahweh. He says, before Abraham existed, I am. He's claiming to be God. In John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. In John 14, 9, he says, whoever's seen me has seen God the Father. John 16, 15, all that the Father has is mine. Okay, now people that talk that way are not good people. There's two choices. They're crazy or they're God. Okay, now, again, the three that I've, I was referred to earlier this year are crazy, okay? But what about Jesus, all right? What about a man who taught righteousness like no one has ever taught righteousness? What about a man who revealed God like no one has ever revealed God? What about a man who healed the sick and, and, and gave sight to the blind and the paralyzed walked and the dead were raised? Okay, what are you gonna do with that guy who's claims to be God? Well, I think he's God. Anyway, all right, so you got, you got some people want to kill him. You got some people like, oh, he's a miracle worker, um, but they don't really believe in him. Uh, other people are like, well, he's a good man. Other people know he's leading the people astray. Verse 15, you've got the Jews who are perplexed about his handling of the scriptures. So in verse 15, it says, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how, so Jesus starts teaching, okay, in the middle of the feast, and that verse 15, the Jews marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So, so Jesus handles the scriptures with this incredible skill, and they're like, man, how does this guy do this? He, he didn't go to any of the schools. He didn't go to any of the rabbinical schools. How, how does he do this? All right, you, you really had no self-taught people back then. You couldn't just have copies of the scriptures. You had to go to the synagogue, go to the temple. And uh, I mean, they were, they were rare. And so how in the world is this carpenter's son from Galilee, how does he handle the scriptures like he's handling them? Okay, and then Jesus makes this statement in verse 16 that I think is very significant. He says, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Okay, so Jesus is making this claim that the words of Jesus are the words of God, okay? That, that Jesus has received his teaching from God and that when you hear him, you are hearing God. All right, now, now I want you to make one more connection there, okay? A very important connection, okay? So I believe that's true. It's in the scriptures. It is true. And so therefore, what you do with the word of God is essentially what you do with God. Does that make sense? All right, so as you're thinking about your life, how you respond to the word of God is how you're responding to God. 
All right, so this is Jesus' word. These are the words of God. And, and, and when you hear this word, you are hearing God. And therefore, how you respond to your Bible is how you are responding to God. And so that begs the question, what, what are you going to do with the word? Um, John eight fifty one. if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In other words, you keeping the word of God is instrumental in you receiving God. And, and, and so, so this statement, all right, you should be very careful in how you approach the word of God. Now, what do I mean by your approach? Well, a lot of times when we talk about how do you approach the Word of God, we're talking about this theological term called hermeneutics, okay? Uh, it doesn't matter if you've never heard that word, but basically hermeneutics is kind of the right way to study the scriptures, and so there's all these principles in hermeneutics, like you should always obey context. In other words, you shouldn't just pluck a verse out of out of somewhere and kind of make it, you know, whatever you want it to be. You you should read the flow of the author, right? You should read the context. Um, another principle of hermeneutics is that you should always have, have have scripture interpret other scripture, right? So whenever there's there's one principle being taught in the Bible, you should look at other places in order to interpret that 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 scripture because the Bible interprets the Bible. Another principle of hermeneutics. You should always look for Jesus. The whole Bible is Jesus' story. And so wherever you're at in the scriptures, whether you're in the Old or New Testament, you should look about how does this tell the story of Jesus, right? But I'm not talking about hermeneutics. I'm talking about, and I think what, what Jesus is talking about here is how do you approach the Bible in the sense of the condition of your heart, okay? So, so now we're talking about morally. We're talking about spiritually, all right? How do you approach the scriptures, okay? Because look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, okay, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And, and, and so there's a qualification here for knowing whether Jesus' teaching is from God, all right? There's a qualification for seeing and knowing and experiencing the power of the scriptures. There's a qualification here for whether or not this book will grip your heart Okay, with the authority of God Almighty. Okay, Jesus is saying in verse 17, you know, if you do this, then you'll know this is God. That this, these are God's words. It's gonna, they're gonna hit you like God's word. There's a qualification of whether or not Jesus' teachings will empower and equip and sustain and nourish and energize and transform you from the inside out. So how you approach the Bible is incredibly important, okay? And here's the qualification. It's right there in verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, all right, so what Jesus is saying is how you approach the Bible spiritually, morally, is incredibly important in whether God's going to reveal his truth to you. And the qualification is if my will is to do God's will. Like I might not know what it is. I don't know what it is because the Bible reveals God's will. Okay, but, but if I'm approaching the scriptures with a heart that says, okay, God, Whatever you're about to say, whatever you want to say, I'm willing. I'm in. Okay, that kind of heart is the kind of heart that receives the word. Actually, Jesus talked about this a bunch uh, in different ways. He talked about how the condition of the heart 
is, is the factor in whether someone receives the word. One of the most famous places is in Matthew 13. You remember Matthew 13? Jesus tells this great parable. And in the parable, there's a sower sowing seed. And, and it's a picture of the word of God going out in the world. It's a picture of it going out this morning, right? And so you have, you have a, a sower in Matthew 13. And he's just broadcasting. That, that's what they used to call that. We, we turned it into a radio term. Uh, why, why a radio term? Because when a radio tower broadcasts, what does it do? It just sends it out everywhere, right? It doesn't just send it to your car. It like sends it everywhere, okay? And, and, and so in the same way, the word of God goes out everywhere. You got this guy just broadcasting seed, broadcasting the word of God, and that word falls on different conditions of hearts, right? You remember the parable? And, and so in the parable, you got one kind of heart that's a hard heart. It's a well-traveled path. It's a highway, and the word doesn't sink in at all. Okay, it's, it's the kind of heart that is not willing to do God's will. It's not open to what God, it wants its own will. It wants its own way. And the word of God does not penetrate at all. It doesn't penetrate into the emotions. It doesn't penetrate into the will, into the soul. And the devil comes and snatches it away. Okay, there's, there's another kind of seed that falls on a shallow, rocky heart. This is a heart that's like this thin, right? There's a little layer of receptivity on the outside. The word of God comes in and, and there's an immediate, oh man, I want God. Man, I don't wanna go to hell. I wanna go to heaven. But it doesn't sink in. There's no depth of soil. And because of that, when things get hard, when affliction comes, when trials come, it withers away and it never bears fruit. It never, it never produces any kind of transformation of life or spiritual life. There's another kind of heart that's a thorny heart. It's a thorny soil. It's got all kinds of weeds. It's got all this love of riches and love of, 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 of self in it. And the word of God comes in and again it starts to come out, but all that other stuff just chokes it out. The word of God never really has an opportunity to, to, to break loose and to transform the heart because the weeds are not cleared out of the soil. And then there's the good soil where, where the word of God goes and it sinks in and it transforms a person and it produces a hundredfold, hundreds of bushels of, of, of fruit in the life of the one whom it sinks into. And so the kind of heart that hears the word makes all the difference. And so John 7, 17, let me read it again. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And so please understand what I'm telling you is there's a spiritual component to understanding the Bible. Okay, now I, I wanna make this case solid for you, okay? And so what, what I wanna do is I wanna take you to a whole bunch of other places that say just that, okay? There's a spiritual component to understanding your Bible. In other words, we many of you can read, okay? I'm not assuming everybody can, but I'm saying probably most everybody in here can read. You understand the definition of words. You can use a dictionary. Better than that, you can now just Google it on your phone, define this word, and it'll tell you, right, what that word is, right? So we, we can read. We have dictionaries. We can understand words. We understand grammar. We understand sentence structure. Maybe some of you are really literate in the fact that you understand poetry and you understand, you know, complex arguments. That's all great, okay? We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is there's another dimension to the Bible gripping your soul. You, you can take the best reader, the best grammatical English structure person, the best person that can understand all kinds of literature, and the Bible does absolutely nothing in their life because there's another element here. Okay, that, that, that's what we're, we're describing. Okay, so let me show you a bunch of places that, that give evidence of that, okay? I'm gonna jump into 1 Corinthians 2. Um, it would be good actually for us to read a bunch of verses here, maybe starting in verse 10, but we don't have time. And so I'm just gonna jump in with verse 14, okay? 
Um, verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly, they're foolish to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. NASB, I believe, says spiritually appraised, which is, uh, I, I, I like that a, a lot better. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things or discerns all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. All right. So the Bible says a couple things there. This is the natural person. What do you mean by a natural person? Someone without the spirit of God. Someone whose will is not to do God's will. Says they don't understand the things of God. Now, does that mean they don't understand the words? Do they read Romans and like, man, this is a foreign language? No, they understand the words. They don't value. That's why I like the word spiritually appraised because it indicates a value system, right? It's what would the verse say? It's folly. Verse 14 says, they are folly to them. Okay, so the things of God, the the things of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, salvation by grace through faith and inheritance in heaven, all those things are, they don't grip them. They don't grab hold of their hearts. They don't transform them because those things are spiritually discerned. Want some examples of that? How about this one? Matthew 16, 17. Um, this is um, right before the transfiguration and um, Jesus, uh, Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? In verse 16, uh, Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. So Peter gives the right answer. Jesus, you're, you're, the, you're the son of God. And then, then immediately, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter gives the right answer. And then immediately Jesus says, hey, you didn't get that on your own. God revealed that to you. Like God, God's the one who showed you that. Um, some of my favorite verses are in Psalm 119. This, this, the whole chapter is packed full of goodies just like this. Um, but verse 18 is a prayer by the psalmist. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What does that mean? Does that mean he's sleeping? You know, he just can't keep his eyes open, you know? He's sitting before his Bible and He's like, God, just open my eyes up. You know, he's like toothpicking them, you know? Is that what he's talking about? He's not talking about that, right? What's he talking about? He, he, he's talking about another dimension of him, right? Not, not, not like, dude, I can't see the words on the page. God, you're gonna have to open. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about open my spiritual eyes. Let me see, let me be gripped by, let, let me be compelled by the word of God. Okay? And you're going to find language like that all through the Psalm 119. Um, here's a favorite one of mine. Uh, 36 and 37 are, are often quoted verses in our house and in the car. Um, incline, verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Can I love that. I, I pray that all the time. What, what is he asking God to do? He's saying, incline my heart. You want to incline mean, right? You like bend it, right? You like bend it over to somewhere. Like if I, it's, it's almost the picture of, you know, I got somebody over here and this is starting to happen to me. I'm starting to get a little hard of hearing, okay? So you got somebody over here and I, you can't hear him. And so what do you do? You like, right? You incline, right? You're, you're inclined. You're bending over. You're leaning toward, okay? And the psalmist is saying, God, incline my heart. Not my ears, my heart. Like, bend my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Normally, I'm inclined to selfish gain. God, bend my heart just to your testimonies. And then the next verse, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. 
okay? Life comes from the scriptures and he's saying, God, open my spiritual heart. Are you guys seeing this? Like there is a spiritual dimension to reading the Bible. Yeah, this answers the question for you of, of why in the world do you sometimes come to the scriptures and there's nothing there. It's, there's a deadness there. There, 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 there's no change, there's, there's no response, there's nothing there. Why is that? It's because there's a spiritual dimension to the scriptures. And again, it's not a hidden thing, it's everywhere. 2 Timothy 2.7, Paul says this, he, he gives Timothy some instructions and then he tells him this, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. All right now, he's talking, about, he's talking to a pastor right? He's talking to a, a, a well-established man of God, and he tells him, Timothy, I'm going to say these things to you, and, and, and you're going to have to come back and meditate on them, and as you do, the Lord, there's a spiritual dimension, right? The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's one of my favorites. I, I, I've talked to you guys about this one. I use that as an example a bunch, okay? It's Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul starts out in this glorious way by just packing you full of blessing, all right? So, so if, you, if you read Ephesians 1, he starts out in verse 3, and he says, you, Christian, you, believer, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, that's good news, right? God has loaded you up with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he starts listing them. You know, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're predestined, you're, you're ho- made holy, you, you are, are forgiven, you, you're, you're to the praise of his glorious grace, you, you have redemption, you have this inheritance, you have the Holy Spirit. Boom, 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 boom. Just, just all of this stuff that will always be true of a born-again believer that is yours in Christ Jesus, all right? He tells you all this stuff, and then he stops, and he's like, okay, now we need to pray, okay? Now, what, what, what does he pray? Well, in Ephesians 1:18, he prays this. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Now, he just told us those things. Why does he need to pray that, they, that their eyes would be open? Not, not these eyes. What does he say? The eyes of your heart. He says, you know, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's a word that means, you know, things come to light, right? It's like you're in a dark room. You can't see stuff. You turn on the light. You're like, oh, there it is, right? Okay. He says, I pray that that would happen in your heart, that the light would be turned on and that you would know the riches of your glorious inheritance. He just told you that. But see, there is a spiritual dimension to Ephesians 1. So what does that mean? That, that means it's possible to read Ephesians 1 and feel like a poor man, right? It's possible for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ and for you to be reading Ephesians 1 and you to come to the point where it says in verse 3, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in, in the heavenly places and you read through there, I've been chosen, I've been predestined, I've been holy, I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven, I've, you've been given the Holy Spirit, you know, God's purpose and plan is going forward and I'm gonna be a part of that plan and you get to the end of it and you're like, man, things are terrible in my life. Man, I just wish God would bless me. I just, I feel so down happened did you just read that well yeah you did right but there is a spiritual dimension to the word of god there's another layer of understanding okay now so what is the crucial element in in 
being gripped by the word of God. What is the crucial element in understanding the word of God? What is the crucial element in, in being, being captivated by the scriptures so that you are moved emotionally, mentally, physically, willfully? What is that dimension? Well, I think it's verse 17. I think that's the beginning of it at least. John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. If anyone's will is to do God's will. All right, now, now let's, let's just think about that for a second. All right, so God is the creator of the universe. He's the giver of life, okay? God is creator. God is giver of life. Jesus, we, we've already learned this in John, John 1, 4. Jesus is the wellspring of life. All that, all that you crave that is truly life is in Jesus. It all flows out of Jesus. That's where you truly get it. Everything else is a deception, okay? Life is in Jesus, Okay, and, and God has a will. God has that which he intends to happen. Think about this. God has a way that your life should be. Do you hear that? God has a way that your life should be. God has a way that your word should be. God has a way that your relationship should be. God has a way that your, 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 your disposition, your emotional orientation, God, God has a way that those things would be. It's his will. He has a way for you to be. He has a way for you to live. He has a way for you to flourish. He has a plan. He has a mission. He has a will. And by the way, it's everywhere in the scriptures. First Thessalonians is a really cool place to look for it because you have it right in a row. Um, just a bunch of stuff here. Like Ephesians 4, 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God. What's God's way for you? You abstain from sexual immorality. Keep going, chapter five. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's way for you is that you would be incredibly joyful. God's way for you is that you would pray without ceasing. God's way for you is that you would give thanks and you'd be able to give thanks in all circumstances. Like God has a way for you, right? And that's just a little sampling. That's just a taste tester, okay? Now, now here's, here's the question. Here's the crucial question. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want the plan? Do you want the design? Do you want the works? Do you want, do you want what God wants for you? Now, there's three possible answers, okay? Number one, yes, I want God's way. Number two, no, I want my way. Number three, can you tell me what God's will is and then I'll decide? Most popular, okay? Two and three, get nothing from Jesus, did you hear that? Whenever you're at two or three, no, I want my way, or, well, hey, tell me what God's will is, and then I'll decide. Because if it has anything to do with public speaking, I'm out. Or if it has anything to do with moving, I no, I'm not gonna do that. Or if it has anything to do with breaking this relationship that I really want, well, then I'm not gonna do it. Okay, two and three, you're out. Like, God's not gonna reveal truth to you. The scriptures will never grip you. You won't get anything from the Lord. Because essentially you don't want God, you want a consultant, right? You don't want his will, you want his help with your will. You want your way. You're really just hoping you hit the jackpot and what you want is, is what God's gonna want also and then he'll help you get it. 
hey, that's, that's not the deal. Listen, God's not interested in take it or leave it advice. Like we do all that all the time, don't we? You know, we'll tell somebody, hey, well, for what it's worth, take it or leave it. Okay, God doesn't ever do that. God's not ever, well, hey, take it or leave it, you know? No, you're just gonna leave it, okay? Because he's not giving it. Not if your will is not to do his will. And, and let, me, let me just appeal to you. Why do you want your way? Have not we all been convinced that we have an incredible knack and ability of destroying ourselves? Why do you want your way? Your way stinks. Like it, it, it leads to disaster. It's offensive to God. It's broken. Your way places itself above the authority of God. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. You shouldn't want your way. You should want God's way. And, and you have to want God's way. You have, to, you have to come to him with this willingness to trust him or you don't receive anything from the Lord. Have you ever thought about James 1? James 1 is saying the same thing, I think. Not, not about scripture, but about prayer. In James 1, 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That's good news, right? But verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Listen, verse seven, that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James says, man, if you lack wisdom, come to God. He gives generously. But don't come saying, all right, God, I'm just not sure about you. I don't really trust you. So go ahead and tell me what you think, and then I'll decide whether I want to do it. You're not, you're not going to get anything from the Lord. You don't come to God that way. You got to come to him in faith. Coming in faith means coming to him saying, God, whatever you lay out on the table, I'm in. Whatever you say, it's better than what I was thinking. I, I want what you want. All right, so listen. You must come to the scriptures with a blank check. You must come with a heart of faith. You must open up your Bible saying, God, I trust you. I'm signing my name to the bottom of this deal. You fill it in. And, and you show me and I, I'm in. I will trust you. I will depend on you. I'll look to you for the power to carry it out. But God, my will is to do your will. God, I want what you want. Your way is best. You can be trusted. I want your will. God, I want your will for my family. I want your will for my friendships. I want your will for my finances. I want your will for my relationships to people who have hurt me. I want your will in the area of forgiveness and reconciliation. So whatever you're gonna say, Whatever you're gonna say, when I open the scriptures, when I look into your word, I'm in. If it means I have to give up something my flesh craves, I'll give it up. You tell him that before you come to the scriptures. If it means uh, taking on a new mission, I'll be in. I'll go, God. Man, I love Isaiah. After he, after he sees the vision in, in the heavens of, of the, the seraphim and the cherubim, they cleanse him. What does he say? You know, God says, speak from heaven. Who will be for me? Who, 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 who can I send? And Isaiah's like, here am I, send me. He didn't know where he's going. He didn't know what he's doing. He didn't know the plan yet. He's like, I'm in. Here am I, send me. 
If it means you're gonna have to lay down your reputation, God, I'll do it. If it means you're gonna have to forgive somebody who hurt you, God, I'll do it. Consider it done. If it means I gotta change my lifestyle, I will say yes. I'm not saying it won't be hard. I won't say it won't be brutal, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna lean on you. And, but I, I, my heart is already in. This is the kind of heart that God reveals truth to. Man, I, I think back to my own life and, and one of the pivotal points in my life was what I'll call the Pence Road Surrender, okay? Paul, had, Paul was on the Damascus Road. I was on the Pence Road. Uh, the Pence Road is this one strip of blacktop. I think it may be the only strip of blacktop in northern Scott County, and it goes from the highway, Highway 83, up to a little town called Pence that was destroyed by a tornado about 70, 80 years ago. And there's nothing there but an elevator now, but it's called the Pence Road. And uh, I, I had had a couple encounters with God in about a series of a week, um, one where God just confronted me with my own uh, impending hell. Um, basically, I, you know, it was just kind of revealed to me just the sense of, man, you're, you, you see how you're living? You're going to hell. Like this, this road leads to hell. Then there was kind of a conversion type experience in my, my mom and dad, in my, in my house. Mom and dad were gone. I was there in the middle of the night. I think I've told you the story before. Um, I, I repented for the first time in my life. I turned away from my sin. So I'm okay, I'm done with that. I want you, Jesus. And then uh, about a week later, I'm, I'm driving on the Pence Road and I'd just come back from my friend Scott Carlson's house and he had, had given me some verses to, to memorize. Um, we had walked through the scriptures together and I'm driving back on the Pence Road and man, I can, I can remember it. I'm, I'm right before the big electrical towers. There's a big um, like, like, you know, statewide, whatever electrical, those huge towers. I remember I was, I was there. I was passing kind of under them or near them. I remember seeing them and, and I'm just... I, I, I did this. I took my hands off the wheel and I said, God, I don't know what it means. But I'm in. Like I, I'll follow you. It's emotional. My like, God, I, I, I mean, it was my first time. I, I was just like, God, I don't, I don't know what you're gonna do. I don't know what's gonna be for my life. When a few, a few weeks ago, my, my goals were, I was going to Fort State, Fort Hayes State on a wrestling scholarship uh, with my girlfriend, and I was gonna drink a bunch of beer. Like, that, that was my life goals. That's as far as I'd gotten. That's, that's all I wanted in life. And, and man, at that point, and I was just like, okay, I, I have no idea what this is gonna mean, but I want it. I want it. And man, guys, the scriptures opened up to me. They came alive. So number one, and I'll give you a couple other short ones here, but number one, if anyone's will is to do God's will. Okay, let, let's, let's pull another truth out of 18 because I think it's, it, 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 it's in line. Okay, so Jesus is speaking of himself here and he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. So basically all false teachers, they're just seeking their own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. So Jesus is saying he's true because he's not seeking his own glory. He's seeking the glory of the Father. And in him, there is no falsehood. Now I would tie that with John 5. This is a verse we looked at a while back, a couple, maybe a month ago or so. John 5, 44, where Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I would say point number two, is this, when you approach the scriptures, you should be seeking God's glory. You should not be seeking your own glory. Listen, your glory is gonna come in God's glory. 
Like it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a change in your thinking that's got to happen in the, in the Christian life. Is you got to stop trying to magnify yourself and you have to start trying to magnify Jesus. And when you do that, you'll find that your life comes together. You'll find that the, that the scriptures open up to you. You'll find that the power of, of God begins to come into your life. When you stop trying to exalt yourself, you stop worrying about you, and, and you start trying to exalt God. And then I would say number three, come to God's word with meekness and with humility. Now, I'm, I'm going to pull this from James. So uh, James chapter 1, verse 21 says this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James says, whenever you come to the scriptures, you come with meekness. You come with humility. What what, what does that mean? That means you come saying, God, I need you. I, I, I need your word. I'm foolish. It's, it's okay to say that to God. I'm foolish. Like, I, I don't see rightly. I can't do anything without you. That's right out of John 15. It's true. I can't do anything without you. It's this kind of posture that opens the word to us when we come to it with meekness. I'm telling you, uh, the reason I included this one, I, I said this a couple weeks ago. I, I see it thick in our culture. It is the height of arrogance to stand in judgment over God and tell him that if he doesn't agree with you, that he doesn't exist, Okay. I'm going to keep harping on this because it's just like this mucky river, that, like, like the ones you see in India, that's just flowing through America. Like just this trashy, dark, nasty thing that's just running through America. And all these people are jumping into it. And, and it's this, this idea that, God, if you don't agree with my thoughts, then you don't exist. I, I cannot tell you how ridiculous that is. To say that to the God of the universe, that, well, God, here's what I think about life, culture, sex, marriage, gender, abortion, sin, judgment, and hell. And God, if you don't line up with me on that stuff, then you don't exist. The, the only way I can figure that working is, is like, you're just like, like covering your eyes. Like, like God, you, you don't, like none of you exist now. You're all gone. I can do whatever I want. I'll just disrobe because you're not really there, you know? And that's, that's toddler foolishness. Like you, you don't get to, you and I don't get to say, well, here's what I think. And so God, you've got to agree with me. And if you don't, then you're not real. You don't really exist. No. You got to come to the scripture saying, God, I, I don't know. I'm broken, and you do know you're God, and so teach me. Man, guys, when we open the scriptures that way, God gives more. He multiplies his giving to you. All right, real quickly, practical, three things. Number one, don't come to the Bible to fit and support what you already believe. Man, this is such a temptation for Christian people. It's like, it's like, well, you already believe these things. And so you just go to the Bible and you, you pick out all this stuff that sort of agrees with what you already believe. And then you disregard or you reinterpret or you just simply ignore the stuff that doesn't agree with your agenda. Like that, don't come to the Bible that way. That's not wanting his will. 
Let God's word shape your thoughts. Number two, intend to obey. Intend to obey. So resolve before you ever open it. Just resolve in your, in your heart. Okay, whatever God brings up today, if he brings up what I think about, if he brings up my habits, if he brings up my, my money, if he brings up my giving, if he bring, whatever he brings up, like what, whatever it is, I, I intend to obey. And then number three, plan to obey. Okay, no, I think those are two different things. So intend to obey is, is a condition of the heart. Plan to obey would be a strategy of your Bible study, okay? And so what I would encourage you is back to something that we've learned over and over again that I wanna remind you again. Some form of soaps, okay? It doesn't have to be soaps. It can be something else. But if you remember, our soaps is, is you read the scripture, S is scripture, O is observation, make observations about the text. And then, then the, the last three all deal with a plan, like a, a, an agreed upon plan in your own heart that I'm gonna obey, okay? So what's A? It's, it's application. Like, how does this thing hit me? How, how do I obey? Like, how am I gonna obey what I just read? And then P is prayer, okay? Man, there's nothing more powerful than taking your, your application, your obedience step and saying, okay, God, I need help. And Lord, I'm asking you right now, I'm gonna go obey and I'm asking you to help me obey. And then S is share. Man, it's, it's a powerful thing to share truths that you are not only seeing but also obeying with other people because now you're bringing accountability into your life, right? And you're bringing mission into your life. And, and so, so I, I would say those three things. Don't, don't come with your own agenda. Like let God speak to you. Number two, Intend on obeying. And number three, just go ahead and, and begin to read the Bible in ways that will bring obedience. So don't, don't get in the habit of, well, I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna do it, you know, wherever, in the bathtub, in the truck, wherever, I'm gonna listen to it, and I'm just gonna get it done. See, that's the way a lot of people read their Bibles. It's like, like I've checked off, I read it, I, I got it done. I read my, did you read your Bible today? Yeah, I read my Bible today. Well, what happened? <laughs> you know, well, I read it. Like, that's what I did. I read the words on the page. No, no, no. Like, intend on obeying and make a plan to obey. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask your Holy Spirit to grab onto us, God, through the word and to move us to obedience, to move us to, um, to glad-hearted surrender to full of faith, full of trust, obedience to you. Father, help us. God, speak to us through your word. God, don't let us seek our own glory, but God, we seek your glory. God, we don't want our own will. God, we want your will. God, we're, we're in. God, we, we sign the check right now. Whatever you want, God, that's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen.